Hey everybody, welcome to the Blue Collar Angst Podcast, where we dive deep into the realm of any and really everything blue collar. We're going to take a look at a wide range of trades and careers that range from welders and electricians to police officers and everything in between. The guests we bring on the show, the listeners, really essentially you, are the fuel that keep this whole thing going. With that being said, please enjoy and as always, like, subscribe, follow, do whatever it is that you do to stay up to date so that you don't miss a thing. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. We have a uh, real treat today. We have a combat vet, a Marine Corps veteran, Sean, with us. He's going to kind of walk us through his journey. Uh, he's a crude oil trucker right now in Wyoming. So we're going to talk about some of the problems and challenges that he's had uh, getting into the, the trucking industry. We're going to dive deep into, you know, spending time in Afghanistan. I don't know if spending time is the right word, right? You're like, yeah, it wasn't really fun, like spending time in Florida. Like, it was a big issue, yeah. <laughs> but, no, it was uh, good. It was good. How are you guys doing? I'm here with Connor and Sean. How are you guys? Good, good, very good. Stoked to be here, David. Well, dude, let's uh, let's kick it off, Sean. So you want to kind of tell the viewers a little bit about yourself, background, where you came from, you know, just for context. I know, I know Sean uh, from high school. I, it's been like, what, 12 years since we've talked? Yeah, literally. It's been a long <laughs> ass time. You know, I, I know a little bit about Sean, but why don't you just share a little bit about yourself with the listeners? Yeah, well, uh, let's see. Well, I was, my parents, my dad, he was a army guy. You know, and I was born in El Paso, Texas, because there was Fort Bliss there. Uh, my parents divorced, and I stayed with my mom mostly uh, in El Paso. You know, the whole once a year thing, every summer, go up and visit my dad in the springs. And, uh, you know, just did elementary school, middle school, and then uh, my first year of high school. And then things got a little wild, you know, fell into the wrong crowd did some things, you know, cause everybody you grow up with is, you know, in a gang or doing something stupid, you know, drugs, whatever. And I was starting to get into that. And, you know, my mom, she saw it quickly and I ended up moving with my dad and my dad whipped me into shape. I mean, 15 year army veteran and <laughs> he's just, he wasn't going to have any of it. So I, I saw it as, you know, maybe this is a restart. And so I decided to just go with it. And I think it was for the best, you know, even I was even pretty heavy overweight when I was going in my sophomore year in Caro Springs and, uh, you know, signed up for the gym, lost a lot of weight, saw that, you know, I wanted to do the military my whole life. So I thought, well, you know, maybe it's obtainable now that I'm lighter weight. I can do pull-ups. I'm pretty strong. You know, I just never knew what branch do I want to go into? And, you know, I saw the army and my dad in 15 years, you know, he was a drill instructor. He was uh well drill sergeant, but he did that. And then he was also a, um, in the two third ACR calf scout and he worked on tanks basically. So I thought about doing it and, you know, I talked to my dad about it and he's I said, I can't make a decision. What do I want to do? You know, army or Marines. And he says, you know, I'm going to be honest. He's like, the Marines, they always look good. You know, they, they, the uniforms are always looking tight. They're always looking fit. And every time you see 
one Marine veteran with another Marine veteran, they can be a 80 years of age difference and they're still like brothers or sister, you know, whatever. And uh, he's like, with the army, you just don't have that. There's not that camaraderie, you know, there's too many of us to have that brotherly love. So that's what I decided to go with was the Marines, you know, and they were always in the, uh, the office, like, let's go PT, let's get, let's get it done. Like, you know, be a badass, this and that, you know, and they always asked me, what do you want to do for your job? And I was like, well, I just want to kick down doors and throw grenades and shit, mess things up. And I was all right, infantry, infantry, you know, that's perfect. And I was like, well, my dad was in infantry, but whatever, I'll do it. Did the ASVAB. I was just smart enough to get into the infantry. You scored a five. You're like, no, what can you do? Like, it was like a 45. It was like 45? a 45. Yeah, I think the minimum was like 43. I was like, fuck it. That's all I want to do anyways. I, think <laughs> so that works. I took the score and ran with it. And I just focused on my PT. You know, I I ran quite a bit. That's that's one of the biggest things about being in the Marines is running. You know, constant running. Are you good at running or your pull-ups or your pull-ups suck or uh, your crunches, you know, crunches are not a big deal. You can let those, you know, you can kind of cheat them a little bit, but you know, it's definitely your pull-ups and your runs. You got to get strong with that and, you know, make sure you're not fat basically. Cause you can, you can look skinny, but when you put it on the scale, that's all they care about. You know, you're going to be that weight, you know, or not, you're going to be in the pork chop. Platoon. So, graduated high school what i think like not, maybe a week after graduation went off to boot camp or i did the maps um went to denver did all that you know stuff to make you walk like a duck or whatever do the duck walk like balls naked one end to the other of the room you how know? was that at 18 were you just sitting there like, this <laughs> that my was life weird, man. they're like dropping your pants in front of this old guy and he's like let me check your balls sir and i'm like yeah but whatever dude this is weird <laughs> dude one guy couldn't even go into the marines because his balls were too big literally that his no they were way. concerned because his nuts were too big it was the weirdest thing ever he was 18 <laughs> so, years older know, how old was he yeah no he was my age he was like 18 17 18 so it was <laughs> blew my mind, but I, I made what, it through. What a you know, story even, to tell to tell all your friends. Like I couldn't go in the Marines <laughs> because my balls were too big. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he he did go though. I saw him at boot camp. He was like three weeks behind me or four weeks behind me, and I was like, "Holy shit, you made it!" You know what I mean? I saw him at the Chow Hall, and he's like, "Yeah, I made it." Blah blah blah. You know, they told me my balls were too big, and then he's like, "Fuck." And then you hear the drill instructor like yelling at him. He's like, oh, I got to go. I'm like, See ya. Bye. You know, like keep your head down, you know, and go do what you need to do. But Dude, it makes um, me think of that super bad, that movie where it's like, dude, she got breast reduction surgery. He like went and got a ball reduction surgery. Just yeah, yeah. The freaking dude, they thought it was I think they thought it was like cancer or something. Oh, that's not I don't know, but it was weird. But no, he's just dude's got big balls i mean going the marine that's a perfect place for a guy with big balls but um <laughs> you know went to boot camp you know had a had a crazy time there man you know it's three months it's it's intense it, i showed up at night in the middle of the night they like drive around in circles just to mess you up you, you land out there the drill instructor's telling you all this stuff land on the yellow footprints and then it's game on from there man get your hair cut and then they do not care how painful or how long your hair is. They'll rip your shit to shreds <laughs> and they'll be all fucked up and they'll tell you, get, 
get back in line, go back in there, go back through. And, you know, they just, it's all a game. It's all it is. So, you know, you, you figure that out pretty quick. You know, you go to the receiving, you get your paperwork done, you know, nothing. It's no longer I, it's this recruit, you know, you refer yourself as this recruit, you know, recruit Nevins, blah, blah, blah. You know, you just go through it. And that was good. That was fun. It was at first because you don't know the game that they're playing, which it's a, it's a game to show you and teach you, but um, you don't really realize it your first month in, and then you start to see, okay, you know, this is crazy. And we've, we've crazy stories, you know, our drill instructors don't, you know, they don't touch you, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they, yeah, they do. I got, <laughs> I mean, I've seen kids get laid out, you know, big mouse thinking they're big bad, you know, or I was in a gang, blah, 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 Compton guy or whatever. And they get, they get brought down to reality, you know, or some dudes, some kids, you know, they're really big and fit muscular guys. And then they say the three magic words, like they want to commit, you know, whatever suicide and they drop them immediately. They say, those are the three magic words that get you out of boot camp, you know? So and everybody just stayed with it. You know, there was only two guys that did that. And so everybody stuck with it. Um, That's kind of crazy. I didn't know that. So you yeah. say, yeah. Like, I'll kill myself, right? Then you, yeah. get, you get booted out of boot camp. You get booted out. Yeah. You, wow. you either, they think they give you like a couple other options before, but they'll let you know, like it could be a, a dishonorable discharge because even so, like you're not a Marine until you go through the crucible, you know, you get your Eagle globe and anchor. You got to go through that. You're not technically a Marine, but by government standards, you are technically in the government. You're, you're the Marine. You signed the papers. Now you're just, you know, from that day on you're indoctrinated in the service. So, you know, you get a sunburn, uh, in the Marines, you're, you can be charged for, uh, freaking destruction of government property. You know, you get a sunburn. If they hate you enough, you know, it will. It will do it. I've seen it happen. So, um, yeah, you're government property, dude. But I'll tell you what, man, I've never been so proud going through it. The whole experience, getting slayed. I mean, just making you do push-ups in the dirt, getting covered in mud. You know, one kid, he said F you to a drill instructor and they made him duck walk everywhere he went for like three weeks. I mean, he literally duck walked in formation everywhere. You're like, he thought he was a duck at the end of it. Yeah, Yeah, they'll make, oh man, they made him, they made him squat two inches above the the shitter to take a crap and war cry and just war cry. Oh, Oh, I got, you know, this recruit needs to use the head. What do you got to do? I got a shit, sir. Or I, I, okay, cool, man. Get on, get on the shitter. All right. Now squat two inches and they'll be standing there like watching you as you, as you take a shit. We'll make you squat two inches above the, the seat and just war cry, just yell on top of your lungs. So you're trying to try to squeeze one off and you're war crying at the same time, <laughs> dude. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> like what? And you just hear, I'm like, ah, ah, you know, and so you're crazy. So full metal jacket was kind of close. It was pretty close, man. There was some things that, you know, maybe in the seventies, it was more normalized then, but things are a little bit better now, but it's still pretty insane. I mean, some of the things they make you do or say, or just, it's funny, you know, my, my platoon, we were, 
my drill instructor was always like, man, this, this platoon has no bearing, no military bearing. Guys always laughing about the stupid shit, what we say and whatnot. You guys got no bearing, no bearing. So then they'd like, you know, do some other things that really piss you off. But, you know, it was a good experience. I, I missed it. I think that that in the Marine Corps was probably one of my best experiences. Um, just because it forms who, you know, you should be as a Marine. You feel like you know, a... Different- you feel like that reshaped you a little bit? Like you were saying, you were kind of rambunctious kid in high school and your dad kind of tried to whip you into shape. And... So yeah, you yeah. I was, I, was pretty, I was pretty stupid, you know, back then. And I think that definitely shaped me to be more um, honorable, more committed to things if I say I'm going to commit, you know, um, harder worker for sure. Because it, when you're told to do something – you know, you don't, you don't stop until that thing's done. So that that's how I, you, you know, you, you can always put things off to the side or whatnot, you know, like back in the day, but no, it's, it's get it done, you know, like take care of your, square your stuff away, make things look nice, always be, you know, everything must have its place and be properly there, clean, you know, it shapes you in that, sense and i still have it even today now that i've been out for like nine years i mean or eight eight nine years but uh it shapes you into a better person for sure like absolutely i think so i mean especially if you're a shithead in high school now you know like (laughs) maybe the military is the best way i'm not saying it's the marines yeah i go to you know it's when they want you you know when you're committed to the marines you're committed like it's army and the air force got their own thing but the Marines is its own standard. You know, it, it's, a, it really is above the rest. You know, even my brother who went in the army later down the line after I did the Marines, he can tell me the same thing. I mean, I've talked to him about my experiences and his were not as brutal, not as bad at all, you know, which was surprising to me because he was infantry too. Um, so after you went through boot camp and stuff, where do you yeah. where do you go from there? Joe, I always feel like I see my buddies. They go through the military. They go into boot camp, and then mm-hmm. they're just like gone. And you're like, where did so and so go? Yeah. So you you get you you graduate, you know, and uh, I think you get you get about ten days of leave, and on that you then you actually go back to Camp Pendleton. If you're in the West Coast, you go back to Camp Pendleton. Um, not MCRD San Diego, but you, you show up at Pendleton with your gear and all your stuff and you check in either if you're an infantry Marine, like actually infantry, you do go to the infantry SLI school of infantry and, uh, you show up there, they process you, uh, you check in and I think it's your, I want to say it's your dress alphas you know, for your first check-in duty and then you go through school, they tell you what to do, you know, um, for non infantry guys, they do, um, they also go to school of infantry, but it's their own little separate. Cause every, every Marine is a rifleman. So they do do infantry training, basic, very, very basic infantry training for about, I want to say a few weeks. I'm not exactly sure how long, but it's a couple of weeks and they, they do actual infantry things. So every, every single Marine does infantry training. What did, what did but you, uh, my case, what's up? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I was, yeah, I was just going to get to that. Well, 
what was your case like how did it happen for you it's it's three months long of uh infantry school so i did everybody gets trained as a regular rifleman for the first two months and then your last month you go into your specific infantry skills so some some people are tube stroking mortarmen some are machine gunners and some are uh rocketmen you know like they do the rockets they shoot smalls um i went into uh, machine gunner school that last month I, I which sucked because i did everything up to the very last i think weapon system because you learn your, your certain weapon systems you know they they teach you on the 240 bravo they teach you on the mark 14 they treat uh, and then they teach you uh the 50 cal so we i did all that training all that schooling and then I, I was on the last test like an actual test on a desk of doing the functions and writing down nomenclatures of like this is this part of the gun this part of the gun and i was the last guy and i looked up and the the instructor snapped his fingers and said hey you come here you know give me your test you're done and he rips it in front of my face damn that's how you find out and says, yeah and he says you're disqualified you're dq'd get the hell out of here he's like you're going go back to the barracks and pack your shit you're going with the the rifleman well they they actually i was already done with my test they looked at my test i passed so what's funny is that I did get dropped back to another um, company um, to become a rifleman. So now on record, I have two billets. I have rifleman and machine gunner billets on my, my actual documentation. Because, I, I mean, I did it all. I did everything. I just didn't do the, uh, the hike, the, the last hike we do. I think it's like 20 miles or something. Um, hike with a machine gun i could have done it but i tested so i did i did that that hike with um my rifle instead so um Dude, yeah, you, I could just, I you i would just say that you're a rifleman a machine gunner and then you got dropped yeah. machine gunner because your balls were too big i would just use that excuse <laughs> for everything yeah, my balls are too big. I thought, you know what? These guys are a bunch of bitches anyways. I'm just going to fucking, you know. No, they were good, though. But, like, the tallest guy, uh, the tallest machine gunner, all our machine gunners, for some reason, like, the toughest, strongest guys are the short dudes. Yeah, like, oh, they're yeah. all, they're all, like, five foot three, but, and they're all machine gunners, but yet they're the toughest guys that carry, you know, the 50 cal on their backs or the, the mortar tubes, which are heavy, you know. But that that was a that was a fun experience and uh, met a lot of good guys in that. And actually, I'm very happy that um, I got dropped for uh, that machine gunner course, because if I didn't, I would have never been to Afghanistan because I was supposed to go to. I forget the company, I think it was one eight, uh, the first battalion, eighth Marines which was in Camp Pendleton. And that's where I was gonna be stationed. But since I got dropped, I went into uh, 1st Battalion, 7th Marines, which is in 29 Palms, California. And they were slotted to go to Afghanistan. And luckily we were the, the last um, combat unit of the Marine Corps, like the actual combat infantry of the Marine Corps to go to Afghanistan in 2014. 
and we were actually on the news and all sorts of stuff about like Bob Jackson and saying in Afghanistan, cause we were in the Helmand Providence and a bunch of, you know, uh, reporters came out one day, but we'll, we can get into that here in a sec. But um, I finished up infantry school. And after that, they, they gave me my orders. You know, they give you orders and stuff of where you're going and, you know, show up here for the bus to get driven all the way to where you're going. Most guys stayed in Camp Pendleton. And I ended up, me and like six other Marines, um, went to 29 Palms and we checked in together. A couple of them went to one unit, another one went to another unit. And there was only two of us that ended up going to, uh, Charlie company, first battalion, seventh Marines, Charlie company. And, um, the nickname of it's called suicide, Charlie. And there's a big history behind it. And when you show up, you know, they give you that history, um, that knowledge basically of, of the unit and of the history of that unit. And you must memorize uh, as a new boot, as a new Marine, like we call new Marines boots, but as a boot, um, cause you haven't earned the title, you know, as a, you know, anything other than just boot until you deploy. Once you deploy, you gain status in the Marines. You can be the same rank Lance Corporal as a guy who went to Afghanistan or, or on a deployment, but you don't hold that same uh, respect because you gain respect going overseas or doing something, you know, you're still a fresh boot. You just got out of boot camp. You know, you're, you don't know nothing, you know, yeah. you've never been there. You've never done that. So you're still, no matter what, through all that training you go through, you're still nothing until you deploy or until you do something that's worth saying you did. So you get, you get the knowledge you got to memorize the knowledge, Suicide Charlie. Um, they're the only Marine Corps unit and company that has two guidons. Um, it has a, the flag has a uh, skull and crossbones. Actually, if you, if you ever watch that show, the Pacific, um, in the, in this one scene with the Guadalcanal, uh, where John Bassalone is actually firing from the hip, uh, a machine gun and running through the jungle, to give, you know, support and bring ammo and supplies throughout the whole night. And the next morning you actually see that guide on, um, that's how detailed that, that show was, but you see that guide on, and that's part of our history was, you know, Guadalcanal and all that. So we had a really rich history in world war two in our unit. Um, the, uh, the frozen Joes and the, the North, or, yeah, it was North Korea for, uh, that and then we had history in vietnam all this stuff so you 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 become part of that family in that unit and so you take it and you you better yourself with that knowledge but we once i checked in guys were just getting back from their deployment which was a mu uh, marine expeditionary unit so they went on a boat basically visited different countries did different training things like that and then we, once they came back, I think about a month after they came back, uh, we got slotted for Afghanistan. We didn't know exactly where, exactly what at the moment, but we knew we were slotted to go to Afghanistan. So we started doing a workup. Workup is about nine months of training for Afghanistan. So we, you know, you learn 
uh, and a lot of a lot of our guys um, were in Afghanistan in 2012, then did a MU in 2013, and so then we did the workup, and when they came back from their MU and went in 2014 to Afghanistan. But um, you know, the workup consists of learning uh, what what happens when someone's shooting at us from this direction, or mounted patrols patrolling what looking for ieds how does ieds built how do they you know do certain things with the ieds you get to know a lot about ieds because that's a that is a big thing in afghanistan um, so what what was IEDs. that like man you're you're 20 years old right what's yeah, that like yeah. processing all this information i can't imagine yeah. being in your shoes being in a different country being in a war zone kind of walk us through what that was like what were you thinking yeah, it was it was pretty wild. Uh, you know, at 19 years old, I did my will <laughs> for the first time. I did an actual will because my son was just born. And um, yeah, I got to see that. And then three months later, maybe um, I deployed. So that was it was pretty nuts. You know, you, you keep thinking to yourself, this is what I trained for. This is what I wanted to do. You know, I signed up. I knew I was going to go, you know, we're going to get it. And what I what I ended up doing was shutting off my emotions because, um, you know, a lot of us get told, to, you know, especially the guys who have previous history in Afghanistan, you know, you got to shut down your emotions quite a bit. You You can't think about your buddy that you spent all this time with, you know, him better than his own mom knows him. And to watch somebody's face get just blown off or ripped in shreds, you got to turn off that switch to where you want to cry, but yet you're getting shot at, you know, things are happening. So you can't, you got to turn off that switch. So when we went, I was geared up, I was ready, you know, pretty emotionless, um, scared, very, very scared, very nervous. We took a bus to California, somewhere else in California at an Air Force base. And we took a civilian flight to Romania. Well, actually Maine, we stopped off in Maine, went from Maine to Romania. We stayed in Romania for one night and then took an actual um, military flight, like a C-130, it wasn't a C-130, I think it was like C-5 or something. And we flew into uh, Camp Leatherneck and that place is crazy. <laughs> It's, it's a big base that um, NATO uses, we use, uh, the Brits use, got to run into a lot of British guys. Um, some of the, the local Afghans, they, they have like shops there and they sell things. You know, I went into the shop because we only got to stay one day and then next day we were flying out. So I was like, man, I want to hit up the, the little bazaar, the little shop. You know, and we got little bus systems driving throughout that little base. It's that big. Dude, where's so, Camp Leatherneck? Is that where's in that? In the at? southern Helmand Province. Oh, is it? Uh, okay. Afghanistan. Yeah, it's southern Afghanistan, out in the desert. I mean, there's just nothing out there. Like a couple of huts, shack houses, mud huts. You know, things that Jesus Christ probably built himself. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's that old, dude. No and, massage uh, parlors. There's no massage parlors. Yeah. There. <laughs> there, there was not. It was desolate, dude. Camels, you see camels like walking off in the distance and shit. It's so hot there. But I went to the bazaar and I was like, man, I need to get me some some headphones, you know, so that way I can, you know, listen to music or whatnot when we're on time off. 
And, uh, you know, I go, I show up there and I'm seeing all these like beats by Dr. Dre. And I'm like, dang, y'all got beats. And, um, my buddy had actual beats with him. And he's like, dude, those aren't beats. Like, check, look at this. So we're like matching up like the little logos and things and it's off. So it's like Chinese knockoffs. And I asked the, the bazaar clerk, I was like, uh, you speak English? She goes, yes, I speak very good English. I'm like, okay, cool. I was like, how much you want for these beats, dude? And he goes, uh, I'll do $60, $60 for you. Original price, 120 for you, $60. And I was like, dude, nah, man. I was like, I'll give you like 10 bucks. And he goes, no, no. How about 55? I was like, you know, these aren't real beats by Dr. Dre, right? He goes, no, they are. They're real beats by Dr. Dre. I was like, no, man, no. These are beats by Habib. These are beats by Habib. <laughs> These are not the real ones. And he goes, oh, fuck you. And all everybody, everybody's watching us. And he's like, fuck you, Marine. I was like, no, nah, dude, fuck you. Beats by Habib. Give me $10. What are you going to do? Take it or leave it. He's like, yeah, 10, get the fuck out of my store. And I was like, all right, cool. See you. Thanks. I would, I would love to go to Mexico. Good? I'd love to go to Mexico with you, Sean, and have you barter. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'd barter all day, man. I, I'm a hard, I'm a tough, I'm a tough dude when it comes to bartering, but uh, I don't take no shit, especially when it comes to my money. You know, I, I work hard for that. I barely made shit. I like made like $20,000 a year in the Marines, you know, and luckily I got that tax free when I was in Afghanistan. So, so do you get um, hazard pay with that? Like, did you make more? Yeah, you get grand? hazard pay, overseas pay and combat pay. So is that good money though? Like, when- yeah, like. $10,000 extra more a, oh, month, a year. Yeah, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. It's untaxed. So, you know, nothing comes out. You're overseas. But yeah, we, we went from there. So the next day we grabbed all our gear. We didn't even unpack anything. I just stacked up on like smokes and all sorts of weird shit because I knew we were going to be out there and we we're going to a fob. I knew what fob it was. They said it was fob Jackson and, uh, it's special forces from, uh, the Brits went in and fuck shit up there in like 2006. Tons of dudes died. It was a very, it's still, it was even when I went, it was a very dangerous area. It's one of the most dangerous areas in all of Afghanistan. Um, just the region itself is horrible. What's a FOB? So we, we took a flight. What's that? What's a FOB? A forward operating base. So oh. it's, it's like a tiny little bait. Like it's really, really small, tiny base. And it's what we used for like, you know, patrols or you go out on patrols or you go and uh, just all sorts of stuff. But it's a forward operating area. And so uh, I get there. We, we, we took a, a flight with the Brits, flew in their, their helicopter. Craziest, craziest. Uh, <laughs> those pilots, the Brits, the British pilots are some of the they have the biggest balls I've ever seen. They'll fly anywhere under any condition as fast as possible. I mean, we're like zipping over people's heads going through Afghanistan. Like you can actually see like women and kids like real close and they're all like smiling and I'm like holding for dear life. The Brits will do anything, man. They're crazy. They're like flying right over. They're like, get out of the way, wanka. And you're like, holy Mm -hmm. shit, dude, they're civilians. Yeah. Like you're going to cut somebody's head off. You're flying so damn low and fast. Like what the hell, dude? (laughs) Are you seeing camels? And I'm like, man, this is it, dude. Like, we're flying in to, like, a combat zone. Like, this is some shit. Like, I was starting to get sweaty and scared. Well, we fly in. They drop. And video that I found on YouTube of 
actually me coming out of that helo with all the guys. But they're like, yeah, get the hell out, get the hell out. Because they can't, the helos can't stay there. They'll get shot at all day. So they're like fun practice for Taliban. So we got all our stuff out and then boom, flight leaves. I'm there now. You know, <laughs> reality set in real quick. And they said, all right, get your shit together. Get your hab together. The other unit was still there. So we're going to change over with them. So the next day, um, we all branch off. They tell us what, uh, where you're going to, where you're going to be located at for, for post, for doing posts. Like you got post one, post two around the fob giving security. And my job, my, my first post was, uh, going to the Afghan army side of this little forward operating base. It's actually outside of the base, but it's still technically inside because we're part of the, the Afghan armies with us, their allies. So my job was to go over to the Afghan side. It was me and a staff sergeant, one of our staff sergeants from my company. And we go over there. I give security for my staff sergeant and all the Afghans there because actually I'm providing security for their COC, their command uh, operations center, basically. So that's what it stands for is commands operations center. Uh, we have one staff sergeant running uh, comm gear communications um, and I'm giving him security. And also we have um, medical guys right next to us. So that way, if there's any casualties from the Afghans, I get to basically work with the casualties and then relay information to the staff sergeant, what needs to happen. Like, Hey, dude's dying, blah, blah, blah. Well, I get to my bay, I get to my fa or my, my, my post and I'm talking with these other Marines there from three, seven. And they're telling me how things are, you know, telling me information. Oh, don't trust this little Afghan army guy. He likes to jerk off in front of the hab in front of you like a weird ass. Um, yeah, yeah. You would literally like, you'd walk in front of your post and just jerk off. Like, what the fuck, dude? Like, go behind like the little Toyota Hilux or some shit. Would he like, know, do it. He, he would literally do it in front of you. He make eye contact with you and just stare at you? Yeah. Oh, that's oh, weird, weird, dude. Yeah, dude. So, so is that the craziest thing that you saw? Some Afghani jerk in his meat? No. <laughs> no? Definitely not. It's worse than uh, that? Bestiality. <laughs> that was the worst thing I've ever seen. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. That's the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, with a donkey. <laughs> is this that like was your... on another post. So that was in oh, Afghanistan. Man. That's not El Paso? That was no, no. Yeah, it's Afghanistan. They, their techniques on... Uh, animals mating is pretty ancient. I mean, it's ridiculous, but, uh, when I, that, that got to that post, man, they were telling me all these guys are like, Oh yeah, nothing really happens. And this and that. And then two hours later, man, I remember it. That this is the thing that's, uh, ingrained in my memory that day specifically. So I've only been in Afghanistan less than 24 hours. And all of a sudden, just this big sonic boom, I hear it, you know, giant boom. And I can see the ripples of like the dust coming my way and it thumps my chest. I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? And as soon as that happened, man, you hear just, bop, 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 da, 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 you know, like firing, just gunshots, gunshots. And uh, I look up and I see these Afghan army guys on their post 
that's right outside of the the fob location and they're shooting rpgs right outside of a of, of a post which is dangerous because you got black your back blast area they're shooting rpgs rpgs are coming their way and i'm like right under all this is happening and i'm i'm seeing like strikes in the dirt like something i i didn't know at first what it was but pieces of dirt around my uh post is getting hit like striking like little puffs of dust is hitting the ground and uh i was like what the fuck and i can hear them going snap right behind me on this metal shed which is what was being used for uh medical casualties and you hear you know snap pow you know you're like what the hell and the little the little afghan army guy that jerks off in front of the post he starts walking out there in the middle of all this chaos waving his gun and shooting in the air, yelling, fuck Taliban. And he's like, fuck Taliban, fuck Taliban. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? I, I ran out there into like ricocheting gunfire, grabbed him. I threw his little four foot eight ass into the, the post. And I was like, stay, you know, like yelling at him, stay. And he doesn't know English. So, you know, things are getting chaotic, man. And then I think like, 30 minutes later, after everything is still kind of popping off and you can hear it in the background, that's when the casualties started coming in. Um, dudes getting uh, shot in the chest, leg shots. Uh, one guy was missing a leg. Um, I think there was like 10 casualties that day. Uh, a couple of them didn't make it. One guy definitely didn't make it. He was the one that actually stepped on the IED. It was an IED. That first initial boom was an IED. Uh, completely shredded him knees hanging out. I mean, he had no more lower legs, pieces of metal in his face. And was that, uh, was that right outside the base dude or, or where was yeah, that? It was right outside. It was right outside the fob. I mean, it was, it was close. And we had, we had other Marines on top of another hill and they were relaying information, but we got the casualties cause we had the Afghan COC. So, you know, the corpsmen, the docs, their corpsmen and docs or whatever they were working on these guys i was relaying information to my staff sergeant and you know hey we got two kia whatever and they call it a certain thing i forget what it was called like fallen wasn't fallen hero i think it was fallen warrior afghans are called fallen warriors uh u.s military is called uh fallen heroes or something like that or fallen angels but uh yeah it, it was that was chaotic that shit it was ingrained and like, that's what I still see today was that because it was just so wild. And it actually every day after that, there was either anywhere between two to 15 guys every day, you know, and there were Afghan guys. So, I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of like, whatever, you know, that's how I thought of it was like, I got no sympathy. Yeah. They're on our side, but you know, it sucks, but this is your country fight you know what i mean like that's how i saw it you know you need to fight for your own country because eventually we're leaving um what so was the relationship like that, dude that, did you did you trust them no i never trusted him i trusted one and he burned me pretty hard because <laughs> he tried to kill me but um <laughs> we had a fucking afghan guy this afghan army guy i got to talk with him knew his knew his family knew his kids you know, they're out in Kabul or whatever, and they're just waiting for him to do his time and get his visa to come to America. Well, yeah, that motherfucker, dude, I shared cigarettes with that son of a bitch. Anyways, um, he he stole like a 
a saw, so a 249 machine gun, uh, a rifle, and another, like, I think it was an M16 or whatever. He ran away. And later, we somebody killed him, and he was the one attacking us. So he, he's like, you can't trust any of them at the moment. You know, you're like, who the fuck do I trust? You know, I, I trusted our, our linguists, our interpreters. Um, I trusted them because they were always with us. And a lot of them were good dudes. They're all talking about Texas, moving to Texas, Texas, Texas. And I'm like, yeah, I'm from Texas, you know, and it, they, were, they were good dudes. But what kind yeah, of questions was... did they ask? Were they like, are the breasts big in Texas? And you're like, oh, they're the biggest. Everything's bigger in Texas. No, they, they always ask, like, can you can you own guns? Can you own guns? I was like, yeah, you can own guns, man. You know, you become a citizen, you can own guns. And uh, they, they like, how's the money? How's the money? You make good money, like have nice house you know, is it like the movies? And I was like, well, I mean, it's kind of like the movies, not quite, but you know, it's, you know, and they, they were like, Oh, I want to go to a concert. I want to go to a concert. You know, they want to be Americanized. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, they wanted their, their wives to dress like Americans, but yet some of their elder didn't allow it to, and they have to listen to the elders because they're older. And so, you know, Oh, why aren't you wearing your burqa? Why aren't you wearing your, you know, your gown, this and that, you know, and, it's kind of dangerous, man, because they still stone women out there. So you got to watch, they have to, those women have to watch out like big time, you know, even women who, if, if the woman was to get say, um, raped, it's, it's her fault. She did it Wow. because he, he wouldn't have those intentions if something, if she didn't do anything. So the guy is always right. So that, that's what blew my mind. That was like the culture of like, what the, like, what is this? That and like chai boy thing and that stuff's real too. We, we had to, uh, I think we had to arrest like a higher up Afghan army guy for having, you know, young kid things that he was doing. So, you know, that stuff was pretty real from time to time though while I was there, we had MARSOC guys, we had special forces guys come through. Um, I got to shoot, shoot the shit with a lot of the MARSOC dudes, really cool guys. Um, some gun for hire dudes. One was from Israel and one was from Jordan, uh, Jordan in Africa. They were carrying some weird guns with them, but they were doing security for certain government officials and things like that. Like there were some weird things going on, but I mean, all in all, we broke that place down, you know, and I remember the second thing I do remember though, for sure is the, 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 the mortar fire on the day that was, uh, for, um, elections, it was their election day. And I remember mortar fire quite frequently. I mean, it was like, they did their, they did their morning prayer throughout the town, you can hear the morning prayer on the speakers. And then all of a sudden just chaos, pure chaos. And I was sitting there smoking cause I did night post sitting there smoking. It went off and all of a sudden you hear the big siren. We have a siren and it's like incoming, incoming, incoming. And uh, I was like, Oh shit. And I hear boom, 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 boom. I'm like, Oh fuck. I finished my cigarette and threw it and I ran, you know, and we all got into cover and we, no one moved, you know, and it was like that for hours. I mean, hours, they said they sent like 80, close to 80, uh, mortar rounds on top of us, around us and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it was wild. And I just sat there in my flak, 
you know, just trying to fall asleep because I'm still tired from the night before. And they're like, yeah, we'll wake you up, man. We'll, we'll take shifts. So we all took shifts and they woke me up and they're like, Hey, I think they're done. I was like, Oh, Oh, you know, you get so comfortable with rockets that you can fall asleep in, in anything, you know, but, um, it's crazy. You know, you mentioned Sean about them being Americanized, the Afghanis wanting to be Americanized. Yeah. It makes me think when you said that, I'm sure you've seen the videos of, you know, whatever you want to call it, the withdrawal when we took like all the United States assets out of Afghanistan. I remember seeing videos on like Instagram of people literally holding on to a gosh damn like cargo plane. And then like once it starts taking lift off, right, it's like people are falling off and shit like that. Mm -hmm. It just it kind of shows like how crazy it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. And a lot of that, you know, of course, they're up in, you know, Kabul area, you know, and a lot of those people in Kabul were already pretty much Americanized. A lot of them, you know, a lot of them, their daily lives look like American lives. And when Taliban came ripping through, you know, they saw that basically like it's over. It's over. Like their whole lives they've established over the years that we've spent there is now going to be gone. And it is. I mean, you look at it today, it's not the same Kabul as we were there. You know, they were, they were able to go to parties and they were able to go to, you know, they had like bars and hookah lounges and they, you can relax and enjoy your life. And now, I mean, Taliban has such a tight grip on that freaking place. It's, it's ridiculous, you know, and I saw that and I knew, I don't know for sure if a lot of the guys that helped us in Afghanistan ever made it back. You know, I, I never, they never got in contact. I never was able to get in contact with any of them, but you wonder like maybe they were still stuck there because it takes forever. I mean, those guys dedicated their whole lives, put their, their families on the line, you know, just to help Americans. And we did them, we did them dirty. I mean, we did them so dirty. And that's, that's what makes me very angry because we, we, we entered in those places without giving any thought to the other people. You know, we just go in there because of whatever reason we want to come up with these days. But that's, that's one of the things I, I, I already knew it was going to happen. You know, when we broke down that fob and fob Jackson, it took us like three months. We broke it down literally two weeks later, it was overran by Taliban. And most of the, most of the Afghan army guys that we worked with were all dead. They were all dead two weeks. That's all it took two weeks. They ran right through that place. We, we gave them guns, uh, armor. I mean, we gave them everything and yet they were still ripped right through. What was the, what was the missing part? Was it just, we had more guys, more firepower. Is that what held the Taliban back? Is that why? Yeah, we had better training. We knew what we were doing. We tried training the, the Afghan armies. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't great, you know, and a lot of them had conflicting issues with shooting another uh, fellow Muslim, you know, that's what it came, a lot of it came down to was that they had inner conflictions with, because a lot of the Afghan army guys, a lot of them are, they're good Muslim people, you know, it's like, they, they double think about who they're shooting, because it's like, yeah, well, they're, you know, technically a fellow Muslim, they believe in, you know, do I want to, be unholy or, you know, things like that, you know, it's, it's, it was a lot of confliction. So, you know, you don't really get the full fighter out of them, 
you know, if it was if it was us against all of them, like the Russians did in, in the 80s, you know, they have every reason to fight hard and nasty and, you know, go crazy because they're not fellow, you know, is, you know, Islamic people. But these were their own, you know, is Islamic people. So they had a lot of them had conflicting issues with that. And so you can kind of tell that, you know, yeah, they fought back a lot of them, but you can kind of tell they weren't going they were hoping that they would give up, like Taliban would give up before they did. You know what I mean? Like they were just hoping, kind of biding their time, you know, shooting random RPGs at each other, like RPG fights, like screw AKs. I mean, they just went straight with the RPGs. It was wild to see something like that. I mean, dude, it's kind of like, though, if you think about it, think about like the United States, like any big city, the mm-hmm. criminals, you know, you can call the criminals in the US, like Taliban, like for this like analogy. All yeah. they have to do, they don't have to play by the rules, right? The cops no. have to play by the rules, just like you yeah. guys did. And then they oh, can yeah. wait it out. And they knew that. And that's the Yo, thing. they knew it. Yeah. Oh, that, dude, that's it was crazy. Rules of engagements. We even took a class before we even went to Afghanistan about rules of engagement. You know, like at 100 yards, you have to do this. At 75 yards or meters, whatever, uh, you have to do this. And you're like, yeah, but their AKs, you know, 300 meters. Like, why am I going to give them that distance? Why would I, why, you know? And that's what, yeah. you know, we didn't, we didn't want to play that, their fucking game. But then again, like if you were to shoot the wrong person on accident, you know, your ass is going to prison, you're right. going to prison for murder, but you sent me to a war zone. Like, what do you want me to do? You know, like, do you, <laughs> you want me to just make friends and hopefully I don't die? Or do you want me to like come back home to my family and ever, you know? it's us or them like who whose side are you on these rules of engagement are absurd man and everybody had a problem with that and it it, i don't know luckily i didn't it didn't have to get down to that too many times uh usually it was oh we got guys who were just taking random shots at us and then they'd leave you know we'd never find them a lot of the that was a lot of the times or we'd find ieds i mean we found tons of ieds um I mean, it was, that was mainly the game. My last six months in Afghanistan was, was purely just a show of force and to stop any, you know, possible uh, drug and gun smuggling between like, cause we're on the Pakistani border with Afghanistan, you know, they'd run things from Pakistan, Afghanistan, drugs, guns, money, all those things. And then at the same time, we're giving security for the CIA group that was actually there on that base that we were at, which was Camp Dwyer. Camp Dwyer, that's where we were at. And uh, there was a ton of CIA guys. I don't know what they were doing. We were not allowed to talk to them. There were some rules with those guys. And all I know is I I would be smoking outside at the Hab at 3 a.m. in the morning. And uh, I would see uh, a drone fly, a super quiet drone fly towards Pakistan and then come back around six, six AM. That's all I knew. I don't know anything else other than that, but I knew they were doing some heavy operations and uh, it was, I don't know. Like, I don't know why that's the thing is I, I never knew really why, why was I there? You know, that was the biggest confliction. And I still, I don't know why anybody was there. You know, we had uh, Sergeant Spitzer, he lost his life. He was a, a sniper and 
the 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 cruelty of it was that he was gunned down by a sniper what the hell you know and all he was doing was giving security it was it was his turn to give security on the machine gun in a i think it was a mounted vehicle and they were just giving security for the battalion commander to have some tea with the district commander of uh the afghans in this area and he got shot and he was flown towards uh and they were trying to get him like flown over to uh, germany and he died on the way so he died and then we had a couple guys lose their legs um i never got to work with them we had my my company themselves we didn't have any casualties thank god um there were times where we could have but we didn't and uh I know I got a reward for it. I was a lead vehicle uh, driver for 30, I think it was like 38 plus patrols without casualties. And uh, we, we caught a few IEDs in place. So oh. it was, it was good. I got, I got a certificate for that. And then, um, but yeah, getting back from Afghanistan, that was, I think the weirdest thing, you know, so I do have, I have one question real quick before we move on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you did have to leave the the base every once in a while, right? Like that was, you, you oh, were yeah. obviously doing patrols. Um, yeah, we were doing mounted patrols. So on, so on vehicles, because uh, everywhere was so far, we'd push up south of Marja or we'd uh, lash Karga, which was off to the east of our, our base. We would push in these areas. We would drive mostly because everything was so far away. Okay. And you're just, you're just looking for, guys smuggling drugs and just lighten them up if you could or what yeah yeah basically we, yeah we would we would never take a dirt road <laughs> because they would love to set ieds there we felt we made our own paths we uh, we came up with these missions where you know we'd go to a certain checkpoint on the map just observe the area basically so we're showing our presence which is making taliban nervous to do anything so we're showing uh, a presence of force. We always had uh, a helo attached to us every, you know, so often we'd have a helo and we they'd call us, you know, but uh, yeah, we would set up, we'd go out on patrol, drive around to our checkpoints, and then we'd get to our overwatch position, our OP position, and we would stay the night there and we'd give a 360 cordon. So we'd be, our trucks would be in a 360 and we'd be, you know, we'd have uh, a couple guys on the machine guns overnight, you know, fire watch, you know, at this time you wake up, blah, blah, blah. Everybody does a few hours throughout the night. And we just do that for a whole week, you know, straight. And then we'd come back to our base for the next week and we'd be on post and it just flip flop, you know, one week post doing things around the base and, or the fob and then we'd go back to patrolling so we would just vice versa and sometimes you're on qrf quick reaction force and we had a few things come down to where we actually had to leave the base quickly because um there was a taliban guy on a freaking motorcycle doing some shiesty shit and uh we had to chase his ass down i mean i was in a truck just hammered down man and just chased after him we got, we were able to get in front of the motorcycle with the truck slid off to the side. I kicked open my door and was pointing the gun, you know, I was like, stop, stop, stop. 
And I was just aimed down on that guy, man. I was ready to blast him, but he gave <laughs> up. He gave up, man. But, uh, you know, we can't, we can't lay hands, you know, if they're, if we take them into custody, the Afghan or the Taliban, if we take them into custody, we're not allowed to lay hands on them. But the linguist can, <laughs> the, the, the linguist, the Afghan linguist. Oh, he did too, because uh, it's disrespectful, you know, to his country, to his fellow Muslims. He, he, you know, put some hurting on that guy. That's why you liked him so much, probably, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, we did that for a while. We, we, uh, we changed over with the army because uh, we were the last Marine Corps unit. You know, I got to, it was, you know, 130 degree days there in Afghanistan. It was freaking ridiculously hot. Um, yeah, I got back from Afghanistan. I think it was, it took us another like two, three days of flights back to Romania, back through Ireland actually. And then into Maine and California, you know, and I think the hardest part of the whole thing was like three days Three days that you get home, but three days ago, you were just fighting for your life to not get shot or blow up. You kicked the wrong rock kind of thing to I'm a dad now. I'm a husband. Like, be that. You know what I mean? Like, how, yeah. do, you, how do you go through that? You know, that, that was the hardest thing. And, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night yelling, like, where's my gun? Where's my gun? Because I would I would wake up in my mind and feel for my gun and I didn't feel it. You know, I'm like, where's my gun? You know, I'm yelling, I'm yelling, where's my gun? And, you know, my wife would she'd tell me, she's like, you're not in Afghanistan. You're not in Afghanistan. You're like, Fuck. Yeah, you're right. I'm not, I'm not, you know, and I would stay up all night, you know, wow. I wouldn't go back to sleep, dude. I'd get like maybe two, three hours of sleep a night. And it was like that for the first couple of months. And, you know, things got better. Things did get better. It, it does with time. You know, you, you're not always on edge, but there's things that even today I came and kick that, you know, I'm always watching my exits. Where can I, where can I hide? Where can I, if something were to pop off, you know, or, or you meet somebody and you think, are you going to kill me? Or am I going to have to kill you? You know, like, what are you doing? Like, let me see what you're wearing. Like, let me see if you got a gun on you. You know what I mean? Like you're always, you're always sketched out about new people or random people or, or a loud bang when you're not expecting it. Like what the fuck, you know, it, it still trips me a little bit, but um, I don't see that now as a negative. I see that more as a positive. Now I, I take my life serious because look at America now, man, it's, you never know, you know, yeah. it's, it's as sad as it is, man. But, you know, I got out, prior to me getting out, we were supposed to go back to Iraq and uh, we we're doing another workup and Obama changed the orders. We weren't going to go. So I didn't want to re-up another two years. So I decided to get my CDL. I said, why not, man? I, I, I drove in Afghanistan. I drove throughout the entire time in the Marine Corps. I was infantry guy. I drive trucks for ranges that we'd be doing. And then I'd go do the range with my buddies and then I'd go back to driving a, uh, one of the, you know, the heavy machineries and stuff. So I thought, you know, I really like, I like cruising. So I got my CDL. I went to this little tiny school called California Career School. It was this tiny shack, dude, in the middle of 29 Palms Desert. Just a little shack with like four semis from like 1983. And uh, they're like, you know, we take, we take your GI Bill, you know, you can, you can get your CDL. We, um. We have another yard. 
filled with trucks that's down in like some other place in California. So like we are a reputable company. So I decided to do that. Got my CDL, man. I, I trained with them on how to drive, you know, and do everything. And um, while all my buddies went to Kuwait, um, I stayed back and just got my CDL, did the schooling. And then I got out with the voluntary, it's called the VERP. It's called VERP and it stands for a voluntary early release program. And uh, I got out like five months before I was supposed to, because there was nothing for me to do. There was no more wars. I didn't want to re-up. Um, I only joined the Marines really because I wanted to go. I wanted to do my service to the country. I wanted to go to combat and I did. And that was it, you know, Afghan's over basically. There's nothing else to do. Um, Obama doesn't want to go Iraq and fight with conventional military. He'd rather send, you know, SF guys. So why not? And so I did get out um, and I didn't use my CDL right away. I didn't, I, you know, me and the wife and kid, we moved uh, to Fort Collins with her family. And I think my first job out was, um, I worked for my, my mother-in-law as an assistant store manager for a gas station for a few months. And then that didn't really turn out well. You know, I just wasn't me. I didn't feel normal. I didn't feel comfortable. I felt out of place. Like I go from fighting a war to a gas station, you know, yeah. like, what is that? You know, yeah. it's not good enough. So then I decided. Well, did you try? Did you try to apply for other jobs, dude? Or like, were you just like, man, I don't know what to do. So you just like, yeah, here's no, I didn't spot. know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Where do I fit in? Because yeah, sure. I could. I could probably join the cops or the sheriff's department or highway patrol because, you know, yeah, I'm good with a gun. Uh, I've done it, you know, like I've been there, but I, I didn't, that's not where I wanted to be. You know, I, I want to carry more guns. I want to have more opportunities to shoot more. Like I, I don't want to shoot my fellow Americans, man. I, as, as much as there's so many messed up people, like I just, I feel a confliction with that because I, I fought for you. Now I'm going to, go against you. You know, yeah. I just, it makes me feel weird. Yeah. Um, it makes you, uh, makes you kind of think about, I guess how, uh, the Afghans felt a little bit. Yeah. 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 The, that confliction, you know, you, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't sound right to me if I had to use that, you know, and then what if I were to end up killing somebody and then I go through a court to fight for myself, to defend myself, you know, that I did everything right. Well, you know, this guy's a Marine veteran. He has PTSD. He has all this stuff. They'll, they'll just demonize me. And then I'll go to, I'll go to prison where guys, you know, like me would get killed because, you know, Oh, this guy was a prior cop. You know what I mean? Like, let's just yeah. mess his life. Up. So I didn't want to do that, but I applied, I applied for a couple different jobs, but I wanted to, to help my mother-in-law. I, I thought that was the right thing to do for a little while. She needed help but I didn't feel right there. So I, I went from there to a trash truck company, you know, picking up commercial dumpsters, um, drove my own truck. I, I liked it at first, but then, you know, everybody there was that worked and they were all good guys, but they were all prior felons. And I was like, dude, I can do better than this. Like, I, I think I can, I think I can be better than, you know, these guys are here doing this trash truck job because it's the best they can do for being a prior felon, convicted felon. 
and uh, it's it's pretty high paying, like 60, 70,000 a year. I'm like, that's pretty good. But I always thought, you know, I can do better. I can do better. I don't have to, you know, not not wanting to knock on trash truck guys because that's a really hard, tough job, you know, in the ice and the cold and things like that in a city. I mean, it's just that's a hard job. And those that's the best those guys can really do for being prior convicted felons. A lot of those guys and they were good dudes. But then again, you don't want to talk trash to those guys because, man, I, I don't know. You might stab you or something. I can yeah. You. <laughs> yeah. Throw you in the back of that dumpster. Yeah. Throw you in the trash can. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, man, I did that. And then I worked for Loomis, you know, that armored car company. OK, yeah. Yeah, I did that. Um, bought myself a gun decided to do that and you had to buy your own gun for Loomis. Yeah, you gotta, well, they give you like a voucher for like a hundred bucks or something, but I was like, well, what's a hundred bucks a high point. Get the fuck out yeah. of here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not going to carry a high point and, and it has to be a double stack magazine, you know, capacity of at least like 12 rounds. So I did the next best thing as a cheap ass broke son of a bitch. I got a Taurus. <laughs> I got a Taurus. And, uh, dude, that, that gun shot really good. I liked it, but, um, I didn't, I didn't like that job either, man, because, you know, you're only getting paid like 13, $14 an hour and you're just stacking like millions of dollars behind a truck. And you're like, what the, you know, like you're only paying yeah. me this much to protect all this money, only a handgun. I was like, get out of here, man. A handgun that you freaking bought. Yeah. Yeah. That I bought. Yeah. Like if I was able to carry an AR or whatever, you know, bring it, but I'm not going to, I'm carrying a handgun and I'm holding on to like millions of dollars. Like get out of here, dude. That's, that just says, come attack me. I didn't like that feeling. And that, that, that feeling made me feel weird too, especially, you know, being even more on edge, you know, you're like, yeah. eh, I don't know. So I finally decided that, you know what, screw this. I want to drive. I want to use my CDL. I got my CDL. I want to use it. And so I talked, had a, talk with the wife, you know, cause she didn't want me to go, but you know, it's like, I'm not making enough money to pay for the bills. Cause Fort Collins, Colorado is expensive as crap to live in. Yeah. You know, I never really expected that. See, that's one thing that I wish I would have left with better knowledge of getting out of the military. Things are more expensive. You got to pay for more bills. The government takes care of you when you're in the military, but once you're out, man, you're out, you're done. Like figure it out. There's, there's nothing else to it. They, they teach you how to do like a job interview, but it's, it's mostly in, in that class that you take, it's called steps and taps separations. It's just a, a class you fuck around in because you're just, you know, I'm done. I'm getting out. Who cares? Like this class, yeah. I have to do it. It's a check mark in the box for getting out, but who cares? You know, it's like it's your last week of high school. You're like, I'm out. Yeah. I'm checked out. I just want to go. Yeah. Screw these books, man. (laughs) So that's what it felt like. But um, yeah, man, I wanted to get in. So I I went with night transportation over the road. Um, wife approved because we're we're suffering, dude. I lost all I sunk all my money that I saved up from Afghanistan into a stupid apartment, man. Sunk it all down the drain. I mean, that that depressed the hell out of me. All that combat, all that pay, you know, just sucked down because of an apartment you know but uh went over the road all lower 48 so i traveled man you name it my my gravy run was from like san diego all the way to atlanta georgia 
and then like back from down to Beaumont, Texas, up to Chicago. I mean, I just drove over the road for a whole year. I needed to get experience because if I want to drive local, you got to have at least a year to two years experience. So I said, screw it, you know, let's like, like one year. I told her one year, I'm out. I'll, I'll find something local. I just have to cut my teeth. I have to cut my teeth. So, and that's how I see everything, man. It's just, it's just a notch in your belt, man. You got to make yourself look good. You got to be looking good. You got to have a nice, nice notches on your, your belt, man. The more that you're master of none, but you know, that whole saying, what's that master of none, but Jack of all trades, and, uh, master of none, right? Jack of all trades. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Those guys are the ones that can bring all sorts of good things to a company, you know, things that you would never think of, but yeah. He's done something similar over here, but, um, yeah, man, I, I saw Wyoming <laughs> and I thought, man, look at, look at how open and how little people are, you know, there's nobody here. I love it. It's all this nature, all this peaceful. There's no, there's no, um, there's no, uh, traffic. There's no, this, there's no, that, you know, it's just so it's calm. There's nothing here. And so I decided, you know, with a thousand bucks in my pocket between me and my, my wife and kid, I, we decided to move. It was a, hay, it was a hail Mary. We moved and we, we picked this tiny town of Douglas and, uh, without any knowledge of the town, I didn't know nothing about this town, man. I didn't know it was oil field. I didn't know Jack squat. I just knew we needed to leave because we're losing money in Fort Collins and I wasn't able to provide properly. Um, so we just left. I said, screw it. And we moved our, all our stuff in within the day out of a, out of a box truck, gave it back, you know, quickly started getting everything settled. And literally the very next day I drove around town and saw this, uh, hiring sign says hiring water truck drivers. It's like, Oh shit. You know, Okay, cool. So I went in. They're like, well, we're, we're only hiring night guys. I'm like, I can't really drive nights right now. Like, you know, we're in a new town. My wife doesn't feel comfortable with me leaving her overnight. You know, I don't even feel comfortable with that. You know, I'm a sketched out dude, man. I always watch my back. And um, they're like, well, we do have the shop hand uh, position available during the day. I was like, sure. Why not? What is it? You know, I applied down, not even knowing what that is. And so I applied making $17 an hour fixing trucks, man, fixing semis. I did brakes, tires. I mean, I did wheel seals, uh, cleaned up the shop, um, cleaned up the yard, did just random work in, in the, the yard for the, the, the company that I worked for, which was A&W, Water Services. Cut my teeth. And then they said, you know what, man? we're about to get into this water transfer crew stuff. I was like, what's water transfer crew? And they're like, well, we work for the oil field. I was like, oil field? They're like, yeah, this is an oil field town. I was like, oh, what? I didn't know this because it was at the downturn of the oil field. There was nothing going on, but things were starting to pick back up. So I said, sure, why not? So they, they sent me to Colorado, back to Colorado to, to train on how to do this water transfer thing, which is transferring wa uh, fresh water to a fracking location for uh, fracking, uh, basically drilled wells on the on these pads on these locations. Um, so that was my job was to to basically lay out all the hose and all the pumps and tie it all together to transfer all this tons of water with super high pressures, 
and um, got to know how like hardcore oil field work was, man. I mean, you're making every two weeks. I was making like eight, nine thousand dollars every two weeks. It was just ham. But you're working like 114 hours a week. It was no joke. Balls of the walls. And I did that for a year with them. And uh, then I I begged and asked, man, like, please, can I can I go to uh, hauling water? You know, I'm sure you guys got a position open. I have my CDL. It's with the same company. All I got to do is slide over. So they trained me, but they insisted that I do nights. And I said, I can't. And they're like, well, all our new guys do nights. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to leave then. So I applied for another company and uh, went with Prairie Field Services to haul water for them. So I was already trained by the previous company. All I had to do was learn the new ways they do it with this other company to haul water. You're hauling water off of these already um, drilled and fracked locations because not only oil comes out of the ground, but the water comes with it. So you got to haul off the water to a disposal where they just pump it right back into the ground. That's all you're doing. You basically just pick up the water out of the tanks. You, you run a hose out, you suck the water with your back vacuum trailer, and then you just go haul it and deliver it. So I did that for another year. (laughs) See the trend here year to year to year to year, man. I could never keep like the same. I didn't know exactly like what the hell am I doing? You know, I don't, I always saw there was always something better until I saw the company that I'm working for now. And I've been working with this company now for four years straight. And they were, there's a really good company and their name is uh, Hoffman trucking. And I've never worked for such a good company before in my life. I think, you know, I've had my arguments with them, but it's, it's all pity stuff. It's, they're such a good company, but it was for hauling crude oil. And uh, I wanted to do crude oil. I got my hazmat. I said, you know, my hazmat on my, my CDL. And that's what I want to do. That's where you make the big bucks, you know, hauling crude oil, it's hazmat, you know, it's, it's so much chiller, you know, you don't have to do service work with a water trailer, you know, and do all these weird jobs uh, that you didn't want to do. You just haul the crude oil. So I ended up working for them, man. And ever since I've been hauling crude oil, you know, all these oil field guys, they're, they're almost like military dudes. And a lot of them are military dudes, veterans like me. So it, it, it's, it's so easy to just align myself with people who are like me and which is like people who are fucked in the head, but with dark humor, you know, we all got dark humor, but even these oil field guys who have never even been in the military, their humor is dark as shit too. So it all just, you know, it just clicked. Yeah. No. Yeah. It just clicked. Even the females that work out here, man, their dark sense of humor. Like they're just like another, uh, just another, you know, Marine. It's like, this is what I'm talking about. This is where I feel like I get to drive my truck out in the middle of nowhere by myself. I find my peace. I listen to my podcast. I listen to this podcast. You know, I find my, my, my peace. I need my peace. Like I have to have so much solitude in my life because I get too worked up with being around too many people. It's just the way it is, you know, stupid people who I think like you've, you've never got to sacrifice anything like I have. And I get so butthurt over it. So I need my peace to be normal, you know? And I, I, I even do that when I'm on my days off, man, I go fishing, 
I go to the gym. I find my peace uh, shooting guns with my kid, man. I started that kid off at like three years old. He's almost 10 now, man. He's been shooting guns since he was three. You know, we, we take care of things, you know, and uh, I think it's been, it's been a struggle trying to find who, who I am as just a person, you know, not only am I a Marine, but I'm also other things, you know, dad, uh, you know, things like that. I just, it was a grind. Well, dude, I, I think about it, man, like talking about your apartment, you know, you put all your money into this apartment. I thought about like the value of a dollar, right? I know there's sometimes like on a Saturday that I'm bitching about being at work or I'm like, gosh, dang, dude, like I'm staying late and I'm sitting and bitching or, you know, I, I waste money on something that, you know, I thought was going to work out great and it didn't. I'm sitting here bitching and moaning about it, but it's like, you put like that value of money, man. Like I put some time in at a job and I got money, but you put time in, in a war zone, you put all this money in, but it's cool to hear you talk about that effort. You know, you said, cut your teeth, you know, the notch Mm -hmm. in the belt. I've heard guys say like the feather in the cap. I've heard that expression too. And Mm -hmm. It's so true, man. Like that effort, like, cause you could have just been a bitch about it, you know? Yeah. You could yeah. be like, Oh dude, all oh, this sucks and been a victim, but that's one right. cool thing, dude. Cause I mean, and, and maybe I, it's just who you are as a person because even yeah, I, I could have sat here and drank alcohol just to forget all the horrible shit that's gone in. I could have chose to do all these stupid things. And what I chose was to better my kid's life. I think that's what a lot of it was to just be a grown man. I mean, I, I don't, I don't even drink anymore. To be honest with you, I, I haven't had a drink in months because I've been on a fitness goal, man. I, I got fat, dude. I got, I was, my heaviest I weighed was like 260 pounds. I'm only five foot nine, dude. I have stretch marks. I let myself go after the Marines. I, I didn't find comfort in drugs or alcohol. I found comfort in fucking package of Oreos eating, you know, <laughs> yeah just going ham on those Oreos, dude. Or like, you know, cheeseburgers and shit. I was just going nuts and I got so fat and big. And, you know, that was another thing was like your health. You know, you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, you know, I used to be this fit Marine, but I've let myself go in so many other areas. You can't, you can't be, um, a good working wheel, you know, and, and have all those nice little spokes out of the wheel you can't be a good turning wheel, man. If you're, if one of those spokes are, you know, knocked out, things going to crash, man. Things going to break. You got to be all around, man. You got to have your fitness in check. You got to work hard. You got to be a good man to your kid and, you know, your family. That's what it's this whole, like, it's this wheel. It's, it has to work, man. Everything's got to roll. And, uh, I'm learning that now, you know, I, I lost 70 pounds in five months. Got my, got my, and it's, making doing that in itself, taking care of my health, I think has definitely um, improved a lot of my outlook in life too, especially knowing now that, you know, life's, life's short and uh, you know, you work hard. We all work hard for these things, especially in, in our trades jobs, man, where there's so many people who are deciding to do YouTube or whatever, you know, and not wanting to be the plumber or not wanting to be, uh, the truck driver or not wanting to be all these things, you know, a lot of these younger kids, they, they see these YouTube stars, man, that's all they want to do. But I think us as parents, man, we need to like, 
get them to see how working hard also just not only benefits you with money, but it benefits you in the, in the mind, man, dude, like a carpenter, you know, like working on these projects. I think there's good things mentally for you. That's there. Yeah. Maybe you might not be making money hand over fist, but if you can learn how to just budget yourself and uh, have a good budget, you can be happy in with what you make, you know, and we're alert. We're losing these tradesmen, man. I see a lot of, a lot of uh, visa workers, man, coming from um, South America and Mexico coming out here to work the oil field because there's nobody who wants to work it. Nobody wants to come out here, man. Yeah, I think uh, I think Coke hit the nail on the or hit the yeah the nail on the head when he said, you know, people you you didn't play the victim like you you were like, man, this job sucks, but you went out <laughs> and you did it. And I feel like today I just hear so much about people that are like man, this life sucks. That job sucks. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go and put the effort in to make my life better. When me and my wife got married, the first job I had, everything we owned fit inside the back of my Camry, yeah. you know, but like you, it was like year to year. I do better than this. I can provide more for my family. I can do more. And you know what? Working a blue collar job sometimes freaking sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like guys, it sucks, but stop playing the victim. Get out yeah. there and be a freaking man and do the job. And, you know, when you put your time in, you notch mm-hmm. your cap, you put those notches in your belt. That's when stuff gets better. Like yeah. when you start and you buckle down and you do the work, that's mm-hmm. when stuff's going to get better for your life. That's when you'll start making the real money. That's when um, uh, a company looks at you and says, ah, oh, I want that guy. You know, I want that guy. Cause you put the time in, you stop making excuses. You, yeah. uh, you, put the notches in your belt and you stop playing the victim and you went out and you got it. You know, that's yeah. 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 You can't feel sorry for yourself, man. That's the thing. Like, yeah. Did I have, I, I, do I have some mild PTSD? Yeah. I got a little bit right, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, feel sorry about it. And is, does this job sometimes, piss me off to high hell man when it comes to like the snow and the ice and the chaining up on your semi uh mud the uh the 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 fumes from the oil itself man making you like go crazy sometimes man it it's all hard man but it's rewarding in the end man when you're seeing your paychecks and it and all that hard work and you and it does equivalent to your paycheck that's a good feeling you know, and I never felt that way working that assistant management job at uh, the gas station. You know, you didn't get paid much, but you busted your ass to to stock and be good to customers and do all these things, man. It's like I never, it never equivalated. So I always thought I can put all this energy in and hard work into something better that pays more. I never settled. You know, a lot of a lot of what what people I think sometimes get a little bit wrong is that like, Oh, you keep jumping from job to job, to job, to job, you know, well, your next person that's going to consider you to hire you is going to say, Hey, are you going to stay here? Well, these days, man, it's not like that. There's such a, there's such a need for workers these days where there's so much more opportunity to make more money or to get in a different job. Like I, I just, 
when when people in this town that I live in right now, man, settle for just working at the at the grocery store, or the gas station when they're more than physically able to go out there into the oil field. It's like, yeah, but you sit here and complain about your money. Dude, there's jobs out there right now paying. Yeah, they're hard backbreaking jobs. They're blue collar as hell jobs. You know, you're turning wrenches and pipe wrenches. You're you're fitting things. But there's you don't see just because you have to put in a little bit more effort and time. It's well worth it, man. It makes it, it once you're at peace with your finances and you can afford everything and you start saving your money and you don't have to worry about like, am I going to be able to pay for my, my rent or my, my utilities? You know, that makes, that brings a certain kind of comfort that you you're willing to work hard for, man. It's comfort. It's peace of mind listen to Dave Ramsey all the time, man. I don't say I agree with everything he says, but there's some truth to the, behind the fact that having a debt-free life is key, man. And that's what I've been on for the last five years. I haven't had any debt, man. Everything I, I just pay my bills and save. That's all I do. And with this job, you're able, being a crude oil hauler, in the oil field right now, up here in Wyoming at the moment, dude, you can make anywhere between ninety to one hundred thirty thousand dollars a year. It's good. Money. I mean, that's yeah, and good ninety thousand, you must be going pretty slow. <laughs> you know, you might not be banging out those those you know loads that quickly, but it's great pay. I mean, it's great pay, especially if you already have a CDL right now. You know, and it's amazing your home every night is if you live here or they give you a truck or a hotel room to stay at you know it's better than being over the road done that man getting stuck at the side of a of a highway in california because walmart won't allow you to park there you know or you got them lot lizards or lot tortoises depending <laughs> on how big of a girl she is that shit's horrible dude you got to hang up your white towel in the freaking uh, the window just so you let them know to not knock on your damn door. <laughs> Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> I said no. Housekeeping. <laughs> fuck off. No, I'm good. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's so cool. It's cool that I feel like everybody, you know, everybody has a different story. But yeah. those that universal rule of effort and like consistency like we're talking about right now. The more consistent you are, you know, I've been in that spot before, like switching jobs year after year. And then you're like, shit, dude, I can't get ahead, you know, but that being consistent with the company, kind of like Connor was saying, and then they recognize you like the light bulb switches off in their heads. And they're like, dude, let's yeah. give this kid a shot. Um, yeah. That's so critical. When you were talking, man, I know, you know, my dad and he was a Marine yeah. too. And you're yeah. so right about that camaraderie between Marine brothers and sisters oh, yeah. and it's cool. I remember one thing he always used to say just growing up. I remember the two things were the knife hand, right? Like when I was getting in trouble, the freaking knife hand. Oh yeah. That. And then I remember he always said, you know, adapt. Uh, what was it? Adapt, change and overcome. I think that's what yeah. he always would say. And like listening to, to you talk tonight, uh, that seems like that's what you've done, dude. That Marine motto is yeah. in that blue collar way too, man. It just, there's so many parallels and you just yeah. got to adapt yeah. You got to be, you know, able to change and then overcome like you did. With that being I just said, wish that the Marines would do something a little bit more towards guys who are getting out to give them another opportunity. Because, you know, honestly, my driving record in Afghanistan and the military does not correlate 
to to the civilian world. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. You can I like I said, man, I got that that certification, that documentation of like successful patrols and mounted vehicles. And I, I got all these awards. And there's so many of us that do have those awards. It doesn't mean jack squat out in the civilian world. You know, even I even talked to the sheriffs here uh, a few years ago about my my military service infantry. You know, I was thinking about doing sheriffs because they're for the people and um, they still doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to them. And that's what kills me the most is that all these young, you know, girls and boys going into the military and then they come out. It's like what do you have, what has the military set you up for after that? You know, like there's nothing, there's really nothing. You kind of changed my perspective. You know, we talked a little bit before we started recording. Yeah. This is going to be released Monday. So a week after this Nashville school shooting thing, um, and we don't have to dive deep into that at all. Right. But one thing I've always said, I'm like, dude, there's all these schools. Why don't we get some vets in there that mm-hmm. are having a trouble, you know, transitioning you know, if they have PTSD, I understand, or if they don't want to, but you know, yeah. ones that are willing, I mean, there's hundreds and thousands of vets, you know, put them in the school as just a security guard. When we went to high school, I don't know if you remember, we had a, a cop and we had mm-hmm. three like district security guards assigned yeah. to our school, which I always felt pretty safe. You know, yeah, I know they tried to lock all the doors and we were little shits and we'd put little pebbles in the door. So we didn't have to walk <laughs> our fat asses around to the front door. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I but I mean, I look at it now and I'm like, man, you know, like you said, dude, maybe, maybe they don't want to do that, but maybe there is some room for improvement. I wouldn't say from the military, but from our elected officials that serve the public to maybe look at options or avenues that we could do that, you know, or finance that. Cause I mean, there's, there's no shortage of tax money that they like to collect from us. Right. Yeah. There is no shortage. I mean, we keep giving it to other countries at the rapid rate, man. It's, it blows my mind. You know, um, I think we should, there should be a program to where, you know, they should have veterans coming out, give that option. You know, I would, I would caution to guys with PTSD um, for sure. You know, there, there would have to be like prerequisites, you know, like, Right. When you go through this training, can you, can you manage, can you help? Because I mean, veterans would be a perfect person to get into that, that lifestyle because it's like we, we join the military for this reason of protection to protect people that we love, protect people. We don't even know, you know, maybe going into being a school security officer, I would do it in a heartbeat. And I've actually thought about that. You know, if, if they, if my town, had that option, I would, I would get out of my job today and protect my son's school any day. And I'd protect any one of those kids, you know, but I, that's the thing is like, do they want that? Do they want that guy roaming around with guns and do they want that kind of look? And I think that's what they're scared of, man. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of these, a lot of these towns, a lot of these schools, man, they're scared of having that persona of like, some military militant guys walk in our hallways and this and that making our kids feel uncomfortable. You know, they already feel uncomfortable about the whole situation. It's like, I get that, you know, but dude, I, I think, I think about it though, too, man. Like when we grew up in Connor, it's probably the same thing with you, dude, where it was fire drills. That was our drills, our evacuation mm-hmm. drills. And now, you know, they have these active shooter 
uh, drills for kids, man. And it's like, holy shit, are we really, we're, that's the next step. We're going to, you know, we, I had a training at work literally just today and it was that run, fight, hide or hide, fight, hide, run, fight, whatever the hell the, the damn acronym is. You sure paid attention. (laughs) I know. (laughs) All I was thinking about was like, what the hell? But I mean, seriously, they're like, I, I just feel like there's a, there's a, there's room for improvement. And I mean, I was, I was looking at different articles today and I know this is going to be released, you know, like a week later after this has already been talked about all yeah. over everything and everybody has their own opinion, but it is sad, man. You know, there are, everybody's trying to spin it one way or another Republicans and, and dumb Democrats. I mean, yeah. both sides are doing it and it's both just like, horrible. and it's just kind of sad, but I mean, when we start taking that static out and start looking at the solution, that's where my mind goes, you know, whenever a problem pops up, there's something on the podcast or something at work, kind of like with what your life dude is where, you know, stuff wasn't working out. It's that blue collar mentality where it's like, Hey, what's the solution? You know, Mm -hmm. that's where I'm at right now where it's like, dude, there's some terrible shit going on in our country right now. Instead of trying to blame it on like the, the right or the Republicans, or now it's like, blamed on the trans party because i think the girl was identified as uh trans or whatever <laughs> like let's find that solution but it's yeah hard, man it's it's a tough it's it's the bs needs to get it's cut funny out because you know you know uh you know that these people are come going to the schools because of the lack of defense yeah. right that's the reason they go there they go there because they know that these kids aren't going to have any protection the teachers don't have any protection mm. But if we, yeah, if we had somebody there, a military trained personnel, someone that had just gotten out of the military, pay them well, they served our country mm-hmm. and give them, you know, and they've been trained with these firearms and yeah, have them going around the school. I promise you that those shootings would go way, way down oh, yeah. just for the fact that those kids, those people that want to go kill somebody knowing there's a guy over there that's got trained skills to kill and, and defend Mm-hmm. i'm not going over there yeah like yeah, it, it's, that's what it is that we in afghanistan when we patrol when we patrol with our guns man like we we always had my staff sergeant always said to look like you're sharpened so carry your gun up don't just drag it behind you don't just sling it and walk you look like you're about to go through some shit because you look like you're about to, you know, annihilate it, somebody if they come after you. You make yourself look harder, like a hard target, like you're ready for something to pop off. Like you're telling the Taliban, come, come get some, come get some, because I'll fight you. You know, if, if there's someone there at that school ready and, and on guard looking like this place, you're, if you want to come in and shoot, like you're going to you're going to go through hell. And you might not even make it through the front door, you know, kind of thing. I think that's a big deterrent, dude. And the military teaches that all the time. Like deterrence, man. We use F-16s as a deterrent, you know, like we deter the enemy. It's all about deterrence because we don't want to get killed. How many times has it saved our lives in Afghanistan? Countless times, man. Countless times. Being a hard target is like, you know, it's, it's the smartest route to go. And these schools that don't do that, man, I, it just blows my mind that you don't make it to where you're just a tougher target. Like no one wants to, you know, does somebody really want to go rob a bank when there's like 10 guards sitting out there? Like, no, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like who wants to, who wants to go enter the, the, the president 
the, the White House with a gun. Nobody, because guess what? That place is a hard target. There's guns all over the place, man. Dudes with Secret Service, all that stuff. And dude, schools are literally schools are soft targets, like literally by definition, man. So yeah, I mean by definition, they're soft targets. And just like uh just like you were saying about like that that show of hey, dude, like I'm here, my shit squared away, like I will attack, you know, if provoked. That's the same thing. Cameron, our last guest, the Arizona State Trooper, he talked about that. Where you know, if you're sloppy, I think he said, you know, if your shirt's not tucked in, people Mm -hmm. are probably more likely to try to to mess with you. But uh I mean, I look at it, man, and, and that's one thing. I, I just want to read the names really quick. I took a screenshot of it today when I was – there were so many different articles, and I was just getting, like, disgusted. But just yeah. really quick, I just want to read the names of the uh, three little kids and then the teachers, uh, you know, since we have the platform to do it and do the right thing. So the first one, William Kinney, nine years old. Evelyn Tickhouse, nine years old. Haley Scruggs nine years old, uh, Catherine Kuntz, 60, Cynthia Peak, 61, and Mike Hill, 61. But I mean, not to put it on that sad note, man, but I mean, I think if we could just focus on the solution and, and that's on us too, right? Calling our officials yeah. and trying to get it squared away. But um, I, I guess with all this being said, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time and I appreciate you coming on. I really do. It's been awesome. What would you say to somebody that's getting out of the military now, no matter what branch, some young kid that doesn't know what to do. You know, he went through that little uh, training that the military does like the interview prep or whatever. What would you say to them to try to get them, I guess, geared in the right path? I think, I guess I would, I would say that you need to find where you belong before you start making any large decisions you know, big decisions on like buying a house or buying, you know, anything, figure out what you want to do. That's the, that's the biggest thing. You know, where do you fit in? What's, what's your people, man? Because you need to, you need to have some camaraderie. You need to have people that you can align yourself with, especially being a veteran. I mean, that's the hardest part is you need same minded individuals. You know, I think, and a lot of that is in blue collar work, you know, tough jobs because you find that, that groove, but I I would recommend getting into something that, that pays well, never, never under ever, ever undersell yourself. You're worth more than that. You know, you serve the country, you deserve better and you have to go find that, that better. You know, you can't let anybody put you down either, you know, say that you, you belong in a certain place when you know you can do better. That's the thing you always strive to, to, you know, make more money, be happy and, and just find comfort. You need to find comfort. You don't got to be the richest person to find comfort. You know, you just need to be able to pay your bills and save your money. That's it. You know, and happiness comes, happiness comes. I think it's, it's all about your budgeting budget, 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 you know, what can you afford? What can't you afford? And whatever you do, don't go into debt. Don't owe anybody anything. Like that's the biggest key. That's the biggest key right there is don't go into debt. Like if, if there's anything I can, anybody can take away is just, yeah, it's nice to drive that big truck, you know, 
especially if you're going into the oil field and you have all that money, you know, it's nice to, to have those nice toys and, and that nice big house, but you, you can't afford it right away. So, you, you know, you go into debt, don't go into debt, man, buy the, buy the cheap little car, you know, maybe it is a new car, but it's the cheaper one, you know, that the, the $15,000 one that's sitting on the lot, man, be happy with what you got and, and save, save your money because that's all this, there is in life, man. It's all about money these days. So, I mean, take care of yourself because no one's going to take care of you. You know, you're kind of, you got to do this and not, the military didn't instill that in all of us. And so it's up to you now to instill it in yourself and, and teach yourself and learn from others, their mistakes, talk to the older guys, talk to the older generation that has been there and done that, get knowledge from them, see their mistakes and don't make those same mistakes. Always talk to the older guys, all the older guys in your job, man, all these old blue collar guys, man, figure out what their mistakes are. Cause I do, I talk to every single one of them. What, what was, what, information what knowledge do they have they might have not been in the military but they got life experience so take away from that all you can get you know and just stay away from the debt the credit cards all that stuff because it just sucks you down into this dark hole and sometimes there's really no way of getting out of it man save your money work hard work really hard find find go out there find the best paying job because you are worth it man you are worth it that's that's the biggest thing man you've You've got through the military service, some of the hardest things to do and to sell yourself short and go into some, you know, desk jockey or, you know, working on a call service center or something. It's, you're better than that, man. Work hard. You, you know how to work hard. You were in the military, you know, use that and, and use that, that your ethics and your, your skills and your knowledge and your your abilities as a hard worker because you know you are from the military use it and and apply it to the civilian world and you will become a better person that's what i would say thanks man thanks for that no that's yeah, awesome yeah, thank you i think there's a lot of guys out there that are have gotten out of the military like you said um they've mm -hmm. accomplished so much in the military and they come out and they're just like dude it's like i'm starting over Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's going to really help a lot of people that listen to this and um, will really help them push them in the right direction. So thanks for that. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just in closing, man, uh, you know, we, we kind of touched on it at the beginning, those three magical words, you know, to get out of boot camp. But if anybody's struggling, whether you're in the military or not, just the national suicide crisis lifeline is 988. Uh, call or text that if you're having any of those thoughts. And like Sean said, just reaching out. Humility is huge. And that, and that really showed through tonight, you know, with, with your episode, man, just being honest and humble. And that's, I think that's when real change comes out when, when you can be humble and, and share that. So thank you for coming on. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. If you guys have any questions for Sean, uh, you guys can reach out to, to me and Connor on our social media sites or at stories at bluecollarangst.com. And, uh, you know, we'll get those answers uh, for you and we'll talk about them on the show on on the upcoming episodes. We appreciate you guys and we hope you guys give it a listen and uh, share it with your friends. And let's keep this thing going. we got something special here and uh, yeah. we appreciate it. Heck yeah. Love this. I love this podcast. Best thing I listen to all day, man. Every week I, I look forward to it, dude. 
every week. I, look, yeah. I see that new podcast out. Oh boy, get it on. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes my week. Right. I'm sure it makes Connor's yeah. week too. So we love doing it. We appreciate it. We appreciate the listeners and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, man.